Well, good morning. It's, um, it's good to be up here. I'm, I'm thankful to be up here. It's a, it's a joy to look out and, and see all y'all's faces uh, from up here. And um, let me just read our sermon text this morning, which is going to be Psalm 16. And, you know, as you turn there, while you're turning there, you may be thinking, that, that sounds familiar. Didn't Butch do that a couple years ago in one of our summer series in the Psalms? And yes, he did. He, he did, and it was awesome, and you need to go listen to it again. But I'll tell you, we can't hear the message and the truth of this psalm too much. And so um, this is a psalm that the Lord has used to, to bless and sustain and, and comfort and bring me joy over the, the, the past years during times where it literally felt like I was being going to come undone. And, and, and the truth and the message of this psalm would just sustain and, 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 and bring me joy. It's, it's a psalm that in times where when things are going great and, and there is no trouble and there is no great struggle, it, it gives us confidence and it, it tells us that, that we are his and that there are some things in this life that are unshakable. And so we can't hear the message of this, this psalm too much. So let me read it uh, for us this morning. Psalm 16 says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this beautiful psalm. Thank you for your word. Um, Give us ears to hear it this morning, Father. Open our eyes to see Christ as our greatest treasure. And uh, we just thank you for, again, just the beauty and the truth and the message of this psalm. It's in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Hey, Carter, man, will you go get your dad some water? Thanks, buddy. I can already feel my mouth getting dry. Um, Again, I don't think we can hear the message and the truth of this, of this psalm often enough as believers, especially in, in the world that we live in, in the culture that we live in in America. And the message of this psalm, if I had to sum it up in a sentence, would be this. When we hold and see Christ as our greatest treasure, we will be secure and satisfied and confidently joyful now and forevermore in him. When we hold and see Christ as our greatest treasure in this world, we will be secure and satisfied and confidently joyful now in this life and forevermore in in him. It's it's a marvelous thing 
to think on, that our future is, is secure. Brothers and sisters in Christ, your future is, is, is settled. It is, it is secure. Everything ends unimaginably well for you. The ending is, is, is final. And that is a marvelous thing to think about in this life. This life that is difficult, this life that is hard, um, there are difficult things that go on, but the end is incredibly beautiful. And we can worry, thanks buddy, we can worry and we can fret in this life if, if we want to, but it's still going to end unimaginably well. You know, for, for, for sports fans, do you, ever, do you ever watch a game and your team wins and, and then it becomes an ESPN classic or you recorded it and you watch it again maybe a week or a month or a year from now and you know the ending. And so it's much more fun to watch. <laughs> you just enjoy the game. You're not all tense and, and watching it. But even sometimes when I'm doing that, I get all tied up in it and I, and I even know the end. So that, that's what we should be like. We should know the end. And so we should, we should enjoy, we should trust God, we should live secure, satisfied, joyful lives because it ends unimaginably well for you. And that's what, that's what this psalm tells us. The lines for you have fallen in pleasant places. Our flesh dwells secure. So I'm kind of getting ahead of myself a little bit. Let me kind of set the stage here and kind of paint the picture a little bit of what this psalm is, is talking about or what's happening here in this psalm. So as you look at it, it's a, it's a prayer for security. David is, is the author of this psalm, and he's, he's praying for security. It was written around 3,000 years ago and before David has ascended to the throne, most likely is when this was written. Most likely he's, he's fleeing from Saul, um, who was the current king and wants to do away with his, uh, his successor, which is David, the, the anointed king. And so, and David, if you look at the psalm and you see what he's writing, he obviously thinks he's about to die. I mean, he's, he's praying things like, preserve me, O God, for in you I, I take refuge. You, you won't abandon my, my, my soul to Sheol, which is the, the land of the dead. You, you won't let your Holy One see corruption. So he's praying things, and he's praying in a way that he really believes that his death is, is imminent. He thinks he's about to die, but yet he is bold and, and confident. And he has this settled joy throughout the, the entire psalm. So here's a man that's facing unimaginable fear, um, just this unfair situation. He's the anointed king, um, but he's facing this unfair situation, scary, uncertain, perilous situation. And he writes some of the most beautiful and comforting words in all of Scripture. And we say, how? How could someone do that? Well, because he holds the Lord as his greatest treasure. Therefore, there is this settled security in David's life, this, this settled and confident joy in David's life, this satisfaction. And the world and the devil are, are set against this. They have been since the garden. And it's obvious here in this psalm that they're set against it um, as we see it, what David is writing. So as all this is going on, we're told over in 1 Samuel that there were those around David in Israel trying to convince him to give up his God and, and, just, and, and give up his heritage, leave the land, and just call out to other gods. 
And that seems to be what he's referring to in, in verse 4. He's just spoke in verse 3 about the saints of the land, and then he turns to this other group that is chasing after other gods. And, and, and we know idolatry and turning to other gods was a consistent problem in Israel all throughout their history, always a divided society. Um, one group that, that held to the Lord, the one true God, and, and they were faithful. And then there was another group that, that chased after pagan gods and chased after the foreign gods. And it seems to be the temptation that David is referring to here in Psalm 16, just this, this words that he's hearing to just, you know, just give up, just run, call out on another God. Obviously, your God is opposed to your enjoyment to, of life. He's opposed to your safety. Following God is, is joyless. It's hard. It's difficult. You're, you're running and hiding. Just give up. Call out to these other gods. Bad things happen all around you. What, what is the point? What is the point? Sin will bring you true pleasure. These other gods will bring you true deliverance. Forget about holding God as your greatest treasure. Hold yourself as your greatest treasure and protect yourself and just get out. It seems like what he's referring to here is that... Does that sound familiar in our culture? But the truth of the Bible is, is this. And, and young folks, you know, young folks, teenagers, y'all hear this. The truth of the Bible is this. Yes, sin and idolatry may bring short-term pleasure and happiness, but it will always, 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 always bring long-term misery and pain. Sin may bring short-term happiness, but it will always bring long-term misery and pain. On the other hand, abiding in God, yes, it may be hard. And in some cases, it may bring short-term difficulty, but it will always, always, always result in lasting joy and pleasure in both this life and the one to come in Him. So just hear that, young people, because don't be enticed. Don't be fooled by the lies and the the, the, the messages we hear from our culture and from our, our lost friends and from this world. And David knew that. And so he is very clearly, as we see in this psalm, he's just very clearly going to side with God's people. He's going to very clearly say they, they are the excellent ones. They are the ones that I want to delight in and be with. He refuses to even take those other gods' names upon his lips because he knows that path leads to multiplied sorrows and to ultimate destruction. So again, that's kind of the intro, what's going on in this psalm. Again, the entire psalm, there is this, this settled calm and this confident joy despite David's circumstances. It's, it's beautiful. It's so comforting. It's freeing. Listen, regardless of what is happening around us, regardless of the the, the circumstances you might find yourself in. The lines for us have fallen in pleasant places. No matter what is happening to you in this life, no matter what perilous situation or difficult situation or hard time that you're in, the lines for you, if you're in Christ, they have fallen for you in pleasant places. Have there ever been more beautiful words uttered? In this Psalm, David gives in the first half of the psalm, David's going to give us five ways, and probably more, but five ways that, that I saw here to hold Christ as our greatest treasure. And then in the second half of the psalm, we see David's going to show us the results of doing so, which is joy and pleasure in him forevermore. And then the whole psalm, 
the whole thing shouts of Jesus. I mean, it just, it just shouts of a, of a coming Messiah. Peter even tells us so in Acts 2 as he preaches the first sermon after Pentecost and he quotes uh, part of Psalm 16. He, he's saying that, that was, David was writing that and he was writing that about his life and the circumstances he was in, but hey, that was Jesus. He was talking about Jesus. So the whole Psalm just shouts uh, of Jesus. All of God's promises and blessings and treasures are centered in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And aren't you thankful? When there is sadness and hurt and pain and sickness in this life, yes, those are, those are real things. We, we're not oblivious to that. We weep over those things. We don't just put our head in the sand as Christians and, and just are completely oblivious to that. We know those things are there. And of course, there are devastating things in this life that happen all around us that, that hurt and shake us and even make, cause us to have, have doubt. And, and on a temporal level, there's so much change, but we can always turn to the truths found here in Psalm 16, that some things are settled. Some things are unchanged. I hate when that happens. <laughs> Didn't even see it coming. And we know we can look at Psalm 16 and we can see the truths found there. We can know that God is good. And even we don't understand, we can just know that that's settled, that God is good. And the end is good. I'm going to pause for a second. All right, I'm getting together here. Have any of y'all, any of y'all seen the, uh, the movie Greater? If you haven't seen it, it's a good movie. Get, get, go watch it. I think it's on Netflix. Our family watched it last night. Um, and in the, I won't give it away, but it's about this, it's about an offensive lineman that played for University of Arkansas back in the 90s. And uh, again, I, won't, I don't want to try to give it away, but at one point in the movie, um, someone talks about he was an offensive lineman, so when he lines up and he gets down in that stance, all he can see is about that eight inches right in front of him and that monster on the other side of the line that's going to try to tear his head off. That's all, that's all he can see. So he's, he's lined up, and he's got eight inches of view like this. But if you zoom out and that ball is snapped and that monster slams into him and chaos ensues, you zoom out, there's a 60-yard beautiful pass just unfolding. But that offensive lineman, all he can see is right here in the chaos that's going on. He's not big enough to see all the things that are going on around him. He can't, he can't zoom out and see the bigger picture of what's happening. And that's us. We're, we're way too small to try to question and, and understand everything that is going on. But God is big, and he is in control. So, so we can, during times of devastating things and times that hurt and shake us, 
we can turn <clears throat> to the truths of Psalm 16. And we can see Jesus there. The, the truths that are settled and unchanging about Jesus and his promises. When you feel let down and cast aside by the world, Jesus, you are my portion and my cup. When there is uncertainty and hardship, Jesus, you hold my lot. Maybe there's sickness or loss or depression. Jesus, because of your life and death and resurrection, you have paid my ransom. Regardless of what is going on around me, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a beautiful inheritance. Maybe there is an unfair situation or you're being mistreated or dealt with unjustly. Or maybe you're just battling sadness. Jesus, because of you and what you have done, my heart is glad. And my whole being rejoices. Death doesn't have the final say. All things end well for me. Maybe there's difficult decisions or just confusing time of life, a different path to take. Jesus, you teach and instruct me. And you lead me in this life. And with you and on this journey, there is fullness of joy. There's pleasure forevermore. Again, aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful for Jesus and his word and how it instructs us and guides us and, and comforts us? I mean, we're sitting here reading a psalm written by a young man 3,000 years ago, hiding somewhere probably, and he writes some of the most comforting words in all of Scripture. I mean, it's just... It's amazing. So, so let's move into the actual psalm here. So as I mentioned, there, there are five ways that David shows us here to hold Christ as our greatest treasure. Five ways. Number one, we acknowledge and hold Christ as our greatest treasure when we see him as our refuge and savior. Verse one. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. We, we all need protection and refuge now and for eternity. That, that's a great place to start as a, as a Christian. That's a great posture to hold your entire Christian life. We all need refuge. We all do smart, self-preserving things. We wear our seatbelt. We, we eat healthy. Um, we avoid dangerous situations. But the bottom line is, the Lord is our ultimate refuge. He is the one that, that spoke all things into existence. He holds all things together. Colossians 1 says that Christ, in Christ all things are held together. If he let go, we would come undone. Literally, we would come undone. So it's right to pray for protection for our loved ones, to pray for protection for ourselves, and to acknowledge and and. And, and know that we are dependent upon Christ in this way. But even more than that, even more than our physical refuge, even more than our physical protection in this world, we need an eternal refuge. A refuge that is going to protect us from a coming judgment, where the wrath of God will be poured out on those that are not found in His Son, Christ. 
In Genesis, God poured out judgment on the world in the form of a flood. And Noah's family, they found refuge in an ark. And that ark is a picture, it's a foreshadowing of our ultimate refuge, who is Christ. So he bore the curse of God's wrath on the cross for our sins. That was what we deserved. And so now we must flee to him. We must run to him, headlong into him for our refuge, for safety on the day of judgment. Wrath, wrath gets replaced with fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore, because in him we have refuge. So that's number one. We can acknowledge and we hold Christ as our greatest treasure when we see him as our refuge and savior. Number two, we acknowledge and make the Lord our greatest treasure when we see him as our only good. Verse two, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. The NASB translation says, I have no good beside you. So apart from Christ, our greatest works, what is the, apart from Christ, our greatest works, man's greatest works, what are they? They're filthy rags. Apart from Christ, man, we can accomplish great things in this world, but apart from Christ, they are, they are nothing. They are no lasting thing if they are void of, of, of God. Sam Storms comments on this verse saying, everything without God is pathetically inferior to God without anything. C.S. Lewis said it like this, he who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God alone. Do we, do we think like that? Let, let's just admit it. In, in America, it's hard to think like that. It's hard to take our eyes from the world and all that we have and all of the comforts that we have and to fix our eyes on him as our greatest treasure, as our only lasting good. It's, it's hard. Jesus spoke of this. Jesus knew this. So, so he, he gave us parables. He spoke of this in Matthew 13. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and he bought it. So you, you see the message? I mean, they, they, they sold everything. They sold everything to go get that one treasure because they knew that one treasure was their greatest treasure and their, and their only good. Being a Christian means that, that God has opened our eyes to see that Jesus is our only lasting good. He is worthy and worth giving up all to gain him. Paul explains it like this in Philippians 3. But whatever, I, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So he is our righteousness. He is our, our only good. We have no good apart from him. Number three, we acknowledge and we hold Christ as our greatest treasure when we love what he loves. And this could apply to all sorts of things, all sort of, sort of excellent things. But here in verse three, 
David acknowledges his love for God's people. He says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. God loves the church so much that he sent his son to redeem her. And we make and acknowledge the Lord as our greatest treasure when we love and delight in what he loves and delights in. And specifically here, it's, it's the church. The idea is that we should delight in God's people, growing together in holiness and love for one another, never tiring of doing good together, as together we find joy and pleasure in God, now and forevermore. So we acknowledge and make Christ our greatest treasure when we, when we see the Lord as our refuge and our Savior, when we see the Lord as our only lasting good, and when we love what he loves and delight in what he delights in, namely the church. And as David is thinking and writing about the saints, his mind turns to those that have followed false gods. In verse 4, he says, The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offering, offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So number four, we acknowledge and hold Christ as our greatest treasure when he is our exclusive object of our worship. When he is the exclusive object of our worship. Again, there's people in the land that have forsaken the, the one true God and, and are running after, after idols. I mean, this is, this is nothing new. This is nothing unfamiliar to us. This has happened in every generation and it, and it will happen in every generation because of, of sin in this world. But it may look a little different today. It may be a little more refined. It may be a little more sophisticated, a little more sanitary, maybe even celebrated as, as edgy and progressive and, and the next cool thing to do. But even though it looks different, it's the same powerful draw, the same powerful sway that was then and now. There was this powerful draw over the culture to foreign gods, to pagan gods. And in David's age, there were gods of fertility, of war, of weather, of power, of health, you name it. And if you wanted it, you wanted something, you made the appropriate sacrifice or you performed the appropriate ritual or said the right things and, and, and waited to see if it happened. And, you know, we sit back and we say, that's, that's so primitive, that's so strange, but yet our culture runs after all of those same things to exhaustion, to exhaustion. So we're every bit as idolatrous, we're every bit as, as duped and fooled as every generation that has come before us, maybe even more. But listen, it is, it's all a lie. It's empty and hollow worship because that worship is worshiping things that will not last. is worshiping the created thing and not the creator. There's no satisfaction there. Do not be enticed. Do not be fooled by the lies of the world. Do not compromise on the truths of God's word. God tells us who he is right here. He tells us who he is. He tells us what he's like. He tells us what we're like. Do not be fooled. Do not compromise don't be enticed to, to mold and to shape a different God. 
one that's more palatable or acceptable to the culture. God doesn't need our help in that. He doesn't need a PR consultant. He's perfectly okay. He's perfectly fine. So he doesn't need our help there. He's the one true and living God who created all things and deserves our undivided and exclusive worship. And any other way multiplies in sorrows. But on this way, on his way, on the good path, on the old roads, there is solid joys. There's lasting treasures now and forevermore. So number five, we hold the Lord as our greatest treasure when he is our present and eternal inheritance. Verses five and six, the Lord is my portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I can't hardly read that without (laughs) crying again. Um, It's just beautiful, beautiful. The idea behind these verses is God's apportioning of of the land between the tribes of Israel. They determined by lot the boundary lines that the tribes were going to have. But God did not give an inheritance of land to one of the tribes, to, to, the, to the Levites, to the priests. Rather, he told them in Numbers, he said, you shall have no inheritance in the land, nor on any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the sons of Israel. So, so David is is no doubt reflecting on that and thinking on that. And he's thinking, God is my portion. God is, is my inheritance. That is far better than anything else I could possibly imagine. God is your portion. God is, is your cup. That equals pleasant lines for you. That, that's what that means. That's, that equals a far better inheritance than you could ever imagine or anything you can gain on this earth. Again, if you are in difficult times right now or you're dealing with, with hard, trying season or, or an aspect of your life that is just so hard, let these verses produce joy in your heart. Let these verses produce a thankful awareness of God's grace in your life. Regardless of the things going on around you and the temporary problems that you're experiencing, your eternal boundary lines are perfect. Your eternal boundary lines are pleasant because Christ is yours and you are his. So, again, things end unimaginably well for the believer. I urge you to rest in the Lord, to trust in him, to hold him as your greatest treasure. And if if that concept is completely foreign to you, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to, to, to sell all. Today is the day to forsake all and go find that greatest treasure because it's, it's, so, it's worth it. Today is the day of salvation. So what happens when we, when we do this? When the Holy Spirit enables us to see and to treasure Christ as our, as our greatest treasure, um, well, we will be secure and satisfied and, and confidently joyful now and forevermore. And I see four ways in the second half of this psalm that David talks about. Number one, when the Lord is our greatest treasure, you can enjoy his counsel and instruction. Verse seven says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the, in the night also my heart instructs me. So we, we've heard many times from this pulpit that when you see 
scripture talk about the heart, it's referring to our inner, innermost being, our innermost personal life and, and thoughts and des- delights and thoughts and desires. And um, that's what it's talking about here. And the word night is, here is, is plural. And so the thought here in this verse is night after night, time after time, again and again, trial after trial, as I meditate on and think about my God and think about his word, he instructs me and he counsels me and he leads me in this life. When you hold Christ as your greatest treasure and you treasure his word in your heart time and time again throughout your life, he will, he will lead. He will always lead and guide and instruct through his word, through sound preaching, through good friends, through just your, your heart, just remembering Remembering his word and drawing back on things. And it'll sustain you and it'll guide you. So number two, when we, when we hold the Lord as our greatest treasure, you experience stability in trials. Verse eight says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Again, we just see this, this settled security. Not in, in knowing what God is going to do. Not in knowing that, that God is going to deliver David from this exact situation. Because again, he's praying in ways that he thinks he's going to die. He, he thinks he really might die here very, very soon. So David's not praying. He has this settled security because he knows how God is going to act. But he knows even if he doesn't deliver him physically, it still ends unimaginably well for him. And that's why he has this settled joy in this settled security. David has reckoned himself secure and safe in the Lord. Maybe not on a temporal level, but in eternity. He has his eyes fixed on the Lord, and it gives him stability in in hard times. So number three, when we hold Christ as our greatest, greatest treasure, we experience gladness and joy in that security. Verse 9 says, Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Because of verse 8, because there are these unshakable things, this unshakable security in you, my whole being rejoices, David says. David's whole being, inside and out, is, is glad and joyful. And remember, he's most likely on the run. He's most likely hiding. He's most likely um, dealing with this completely unfair situation on a human level where he's the anointed king and yet he's, he's running thinking he's about to die. But yet, God has caused him to have this unbelievable security on an eternal level. He's glad and joyful because of the Lord. N- number four, and this is the last one, and we'll kind of work towards a close. When we hold Christ as our greatest treasure, we experience eternal joy and pleasure in God's presence. Verses 10 and 11 for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David had a hope beyond the grave. Though David was, again, thinking there's a very real chance he might die, he knew he would not suffer eternal separation from God. And and again, Peter tells us in Acts 2 that these verses are really about Jesus. 
These verses are about Jesus on the third day. He, he rose from the dead, and he was... He, he, didn't, he didn't suffer in that way either. He didn't suffer in that separation. And he, he has a resurrected body. And we will someday as well. But David had a hope and a security that was beyond death. That he would have fullness of joy and eternal pleasure with God in his presence. David's security and satisfaction that we see here in 16, they stand in stark contrast to his, to his son, Solomon, that, were, that came after him. In much of Solomon's life, he chased after all kinds of created things. He sought his satisfaction in his work. He sought pleasure and fulfillment in his wisdom. He sought um, happiness in building beautiful palace and beautiful gardens. He tried laughter and wine. He, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. He had this fabulous wealth, and none of it satisfied. We, we studied all this in Ecclesiastes, and in chapter 12, he writes, in Ecclesiastes, he writes, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. I, I bet he wishes he would have come to the lesson that his dad had learned much sooner in his life, that he would have just treasured the Lord and treasured God as his, as, his, as, his, as his only lasting good. I bet he wishes he would have come to that much, much sooner in his life. When we treasure, when we see Christ as our greatest treasure, when we hold him as our greatest treasure, we will be secure and satisfied and confidently joyful now and forevermore in him. As I said earlier, this, this psalm shouts of Jesus. And these verses, they find their ultimate fulfillment in Christ. God is not like the pagan gods that David was being tempted to run after. God is not, not like this cosmic dispenser of secu security, this cosmic dispenser of satisfaction and pleasure and joy. You just go to him and you pop in the right code or you say the right thing or you stand on your left, whatever, you do the right ritual and out pops what we need. God is not like that. No, he, he is far better than that. He gives us himself. He gives us himself so that he is our security, so that, that he is our joy, so that he is our pleasure. He is our satisfaction, not just the giver of those things. He is those things for us when we are in him. So David is speaking of fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore, but not only in that language, he says, because he will be with God, he says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God isn't saying through David here in Psalm 16, I am a better way to look for these things. I'm a better way to find security or satisfaction or joy. He's saying, I am your security. I am your joy, your satisfaction, your refuge. I am a far better inheritance. So make Jesus your greatest treasure and he will be enough now and forevermore. Jesus has been highly exalted by the Father, given the name above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In him, we find rest and peace and security 
and joy and on and on and on. He reigns over the future. He has triumphed over death. He is enough. He is worthy. He is our portion. He is our inheritance. He is our cup. He is our only lasting good. Because of him, the lines for us have fallen in pleasant places. In him, even our bad things work for our good. Our good things cannot be shaken, and our best things are yet to come. So again, I urge you, make Christ your greatest treasure so that you can say with David, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. And we just ask that you, um, through your Holy Spirit, that you would just help us more and more as we grow and mature and are sanctified, that you would just help us to see Christ as our greatest treasure now and, and forevermore so that we might be satisfied and, and secure and joyful in him. It's in Christ's name. Amen.